You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse number 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And I think that it's appropriate that we stand again as we prepare for a five-hour sermon. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, didn't our choir do a good job this morning and our worship team? We praise the Lord for them. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yahshua, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Yeshua, Jesus. You may be seated. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, one of the things that separates Christmas from most any other holidays is just the sheer amount of music that we sing. I mean, we sing so many songs around Christmas time. I did, I did some research this week. I got on the Google machine, and I found that we have over one million Christmas songs in English out there. A million songs. Isn't that crazy? Now, you think about that. A lot of people start playing their Christmas music. I think it's getting earlier and earlier. Right now, the most most of the time, most of the department stores, they're starting Christmas music right after Halloween. Some people I know, I have a friend of mine who actually starts his Christmas decorations uh, the day after Halloween, and he puts them up, and they're up for like four months. And I, and I asked him, I said, why? He said, listen, I spend so much money on these things, I want to get my bang for my buck, amen? Um. And you should, you should. You know, uh, a lot of people listen to a lot of Christmas songs. A lot of people get excited about Christmas songs. If you want to start a fight over, 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 over the, uh, Facebook or social media, you just ask people, what's your favorite Christmas song? You know, a lot of you, maybe you have your favorite Christmas song, the one that just sticks out in your mind and, and it just makes Christmas alive to you. So what I want you to do is we're all going to say out loud what our favorite Christmas song is, okay? So one, uh, you're going to say it out loud, one, Two, three. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. That's not yours? You know the number one Christmas song this year is All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. She wrote that song in 1994, and according to Spotify, she will get in royalties just from streaming music services. She'll get in royalties from November 1st to December 31st, she will get $600,000 just in streaming royalties. Since 1994, Mariah Carey has made $60 million on that song. That's a lot of money. I wish she was a member of this church. <laughs> that tithed. 
you know, there's a lot of sacred Christmas songs out there, and we're going to sing a lot of them on Christmas Eve. I'm excited about our candlelight services. It's one of my favorite times, one of my favorite services of the year. But we sing songs like Silent Night, Oh Holy Night, Mary Did You Know, Little Town of Bethlehem, Angels from the Realms of Glory, Away in the Manger, Hark the Herald, and What Child Is This? And as you listen to each one of those songs, you, you kind of, you, you'll, you'll see so, uh, something in there that, that there are different people that are mentioned. Uh, it mentions Jesus. Every song should be about Jesus. Uh, it mentions Mary. It mentions uh, the shepherds. It mentions the angels. It mentions the wise men. Shoot, there's even a song that mentions a little drummer boy who wasn't there. <laughs> Do you hear what I hear? No, you weren't there. But there's one character that's a main character that's not mentioned in any popular song. Now, there's somebody that will always say, well, I, I, I know some songs about, but there's one song in the top 100 of Christmas songs that, that he doesn't even get an honorable mention, and that's Joseph. Nobody really sings about Joseph. Nobody says, Joseph, did you know that Mary would have a little baby? Nobody sings that. We don't see. Now, somebody will say, well, have you heard, Pastor, of Joseph's lullaby? Yes, but I'm saying the major songs that are out there, nothing's about Joseph. But here's what I want you to get this morning. Here's what the message is about. Joseph is truly an unsung hero of Christmas because he was chosen by God to be the stepdad of the Savior of the world. And I think there's two wonderful things that we're going to see about him this morning. Number one, we're going to see his character. And number two, we're going to see his courage. The first thing I want you to see is his character. His character in this text is confronted with a crisis. His character is confronted with a crisis. Chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew in his gospel in the verse 17 verses has given us the genealogy of Jesus. There are 28 names. It kind of reads like a Hebrew phone book directory in which we have this guy, but get that guy, but get that guy, but get that guy. And what he is doing is he is showing his audience the humanity of Jesus and showing that Jesus's lineage points back all the way to David, that Jesus is the son of David. But in verse 18, he gives us the divinity uh, of Jesus in which he gives us his divine genealogy, that Jesus came from the Holy Spirit of God and descended down in a miraculous, never repeated act we call the Immaculate Conception. Now, to, con to clean up any confusion, I want you to hear this thought. Jesus's birth was not Jesus's beginning. In other words, Jesus was not created at Christmas. You would be surprised how many people believe that Jesus came into existence at Christmas. Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, the second person of the Trinity sent from God to this broken world to save us from our sins. So it's not like just at Christmas, Jesus just showed up as a baby and that's where he was created by God. No, he's always been, he always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he came to this world so that he could be Emmanuel, which is God with us. He is God who came low. Now, Jesus did not come to this world so that we would know that God exists. A lot of people say, well, you know what? God has to prove that he exists. Some of you maybe this morning, you're saying, well, I want God to prove that he exists to me. Listen, God does not need to, approve, to prove to you his existence because he is and if you don't believe in him, then you are not. He is. But God did not send Jesus so the world would know that he exists. God sent Jesus so the world would know that God cares. That God sent his son into a world that his son created that was broken by sin. 
And Jesus came into this world so that we can know God and we can have a relationship with him. And Jesus is God in a language that you and I can understand. He is fully God and he is truly man. As a matter of fact, the writer Isaiah said that for unto us a a child is born, that speaks of his humanity, and unto us a son is given, speaks of his divinity. Yet as God performed this incredible miracle, listen, without the incarnation, there would be no resurrection. Had God not performed this incredible miracle, we wouldn't have any hope of salvation. But as God performed this incredible miracle, I want you to note something, he used people to bring it about. He used Joseph and Mary. Now, who were Joseph and Mary? Well, we kind of know them as characters uh, in our nativities. But Joseph and Mary were normal people. They were normal people who lived lives in ancient Israel, and they were actually betrothed to each other. The Bible says that they were betrothed. This betrothal process is something that, that was a part of the fabric of Jewish lifestyle, and, and it was called Kiddushin. And Kiddushin was that period of time when a young man and his fiancée would be legally married. The parents would pick the the bride and the groom. They would come together. The parents would agree on a bride price. The the parents would also agree on a dowry. And in that moment, they they would come into this arrangement. And in that arrangement, they would be legally married. So when Joseph and and, and Mary uh, were, were told the news of Jesus, they were legally married. But yet, in this season called Kiddushim, they would have to wait an entire year before they could consummate that marriage, before they could live together and sleep together. And it was a time of proving, it was a time of proving purity, and it was also a time of preparation where the the husband or the the groom would go and build a house and prepare everything for his bride. So they were legally married, but they were not living together. And the only way out of Kiddushim was divorce. And in Jewish lifestyle in this day, Kiddushim, to break Kiddushim, was a very serious offense. So the Bible says that they were betrothed and before they had finished their Kiddushim, before they had finished that year-long period, the Bible says that Mary was found with child. Now that's all we really know about the conversation that Mary had with Joseph and that Joseph had with Mary as they both got the news. Mary had already previously got the news and now she has to sit down with Joseph and break the news to him. Could you imagine the moment? During Kiddushim, the, the, the bride and the groom wouldn't spend a lot of time together, but I could just imagine that Mary sent Joseph a text message to say, honey, I need you to come home, come to my house, come to my parents' house, I got to give you some news. So Joseph comes into the house, he's just had a long day of work, he, he comes and she says, will you sit down? He says, I will, I'll sit down. And so there she begins to tell him, all right, Joseph, I've got some news to tell you, I'm pregnant. And Joseph looks bewildered because he knew, he knows that they haven't been together, if you know what I mean. And so the natural question he has is, well, who's the daddy? And Mary says, oh, listen, Joseph, don't worry. Don't worry. It's God. The daddy is God. He's like, what? She said, yeah, an angel came to me and she said, it's, he said it's going to be okay and and I'm going to have God inside of me. And I'm going to give birth to God. And Joseph was like, you're kidding me. You're going to use that excuse? The immaculate conception excuse? <laughs> so, in other words, you've added adultery uh, to adultery blasphemy. And the next thing you're going to tell me is that the angel said that you're going to get a pet unicorn. 
you imagine the moment? Now, Joseph here, the Bible wants to make sure that we understand a little bit about his character. So in verse number 19, the Bible says that her husband, Joseph, was a just man. He was a righteous man. Matthew intentionally tells us about his character, that he was a faithful follower of God. He was a hardworking man who loved God and probably had a dream for his future and his family. He probably had a dream that he was going to marry some girl in Nazareth. They were going to settle down. He was going to have this great uh, carpentry business that would be there. They would have children. They would have a legacy. It would be wonderful. Just imagine in this moment, all of his dreams were just blown up in an instant. Imagine the pain, the betrayal, the confusion, the disrespect, and the humiliation. Now Joseph is alone. He's humiliated by this young girl. And he's stuck. See, his plans and his dreams all fell apart in that moment. Now, have you ever really stopped to think about why is it that God sent an angel to Mary before she got pregnant and not an angel to Joseph to tell him what was going on? I don't really know. What we do know is that that God chose to do it this way and God chose to allow Joseph to go through what he went through. But Joseph was a good man and just as God chose Mary to be a part of this nativity, so God chose Joseph as well. And yet God allowed him to go through a season of bewilderment and confusion. And so how would he respond? Well, it tells you a lot about his character. How is Joseph? You know, when we get confused, when somebody comes and gives us news that we weren't expecting, many of us get angry. Many of us kind of go nuts. Many of us kind of lash out and do different things. Well, how does he deal with this? Well, you'll notice something that the Bible wants us to understand here. He says here that the Bible says that he was unwilling. He's unwilling to put her to shame, but resolved to divorce her quietly. Would you put that on the screen, please? That he was willing, unwilling to put her to shame, but resolved to divorce her quietly. He had two rights as, a, as, a, as the groom within Kedeshim when you find out your wife is pregnant. One is he could publicly shame her, drag her out in the streets, tell the religious leaders, stand her before them. He would get his money back. He would get the, the bride price that was already given. He would, he, his dowry, he would keep the dowry. And he could have her stoned and, and killed for adultery. That was, that was one option. The second option that he had was to divorce her. Because the Bible said, the, the, the law of Moses permitted, because of the hardness of hearts, uh, people to be divorced on the grounds of adultery. Now, just because they were divorced doesn't mean that they wouldn't be embarrassed. Because people are going to say, well, Joseph, weren't you like in Kiddushim with Mary? And like, you're, you're not with her anymore. You're with this other girl. Like, what's going on here? I mean, there were still going to be people questioning Joseph. And then there's this whole matter of a baby. And so if he divorces her quietly, she's still going to have a baby. But yet in Joseph's mind, he felt that this decision is honoring to God by divorcing her because that's what the law required, but compassionate to Mary to not have her dragged out into the streets and be stoned to death. He was both just and he was merciful. And so in his mind, this decision was a good one. But yet one thing we have to understand is even though it was a good one, God had a better one. God had a better plan. God had something for Joseph that was far greater than Joseph could have ever dreamed or imagined. And Joseph had absolutely no clue what God was going to do in his life. And so I want you to understand this, that maybe in your life you're going through a crisis. Maybe you've got some news this week that was completely out of left field. Maybe your life is in shambles. Maybe what you had planned, what was ideal to you, has now become an ordeal and you're praying to God to give you a new deal. Well, here's what I want you to listen to this morning, and that is this, is that sometimes God blows up our plans because he has better plans even though it doesn't seem like it. See, because God's plan for Joseph was not just for Joseph to live a normal, ordinary life. God's plan for Joseph was to be the stepdad of Jesus Christ. 
that he had for Joseph the privilege to raise the Savior of the world, the longing of creation, the hope of the nations, and the fulfillment of the long-awaited promises of God. Joseph's life was blown up so that Jesus could be in his life. You know, it could be that your life, like you heard in the testimony of Billy's, is going through crisis after crisis. In Billy's life, he lost, uh, he, he, he had a lot of things going on. His dad was sick. His marriage was in trouble. He had a lot of issues at work. His house, he doesn't share with you, but his house was falling apart. He was going through a crisis moment. Yet it was in that crisis moment that Christ showed up. And it may be this morning that God has blown your life up, got you in a moment of crisis so that you see that he is what you need. So that's what we see here is that Joseph's character was was tried in this crisis. But we see not only his character, but I want you to see his courage. Joseph had courage that was committed despite the cost. In verse 20 it says that as he considered, as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. We don't know how long it was from the time that Joseph uh, heard the news from Mary until the time that the angel of the Lord appears. We don't know how long of a period it was. We just know that there was a period of consideration. Joseph here really had three things to consider. One, marry her. Live with the kid. Two, um, have her killed, have her stoned, have her shamed, have her humiliated. Or three, um, divorce her quietly and just live with the stigma of it. And so as he's trying to consider these options, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appears. Now, many scholars say that this was Gabriel. And he came with a message to Joseph, just like he came to a message with Mary. He came with the same message that said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. You can marry her. She's not lying. The child that's within her is from the Holy Spirit. The immaculate conception is true. The incarnation is real. But notice the words that the angel says, do not fear. Do not fear. Now, this is a phrase found all throughout the Bible, but if you read the Christmas story, it is all throughout the Christmas story because some scholars say that it's the first word of Christmas. Do not be afraid. In other words, he says, be courageous. Now, what is courage? Courage is the ability... To do something dangerous and uh, that is, uh, or difficult without fear. Courage is the ability to do something that is dangerous or difficult without fear. So for Joseph to receive Jesus into his life, he had to be courageous because it was difficult. It was dangerous. There was a cost to having Jesus in his life. So what were the costs for Joseph? And these costs for Joseph may be the same cost for you. The first thing that cost Joseph was his reputation. Ancient Israel was a shame-honor culture. Even to this day, it's a very Eastern uh, shame, uh, honor culture. And, and in this moment, when Joseph uh, marries a, a pregnant Mary, everyone's going to know that something is fishy. Even in that day, they could count. And they would know that the baby wasn't born nine or ten months after they came together. They would sit there and count. Well, you know, one, two, three, December, let's see, what's the, how does that work? Yeah, they're like seven months. That, that's not good. And so the mindset of the people are going to just jump to either one of two conclusions. Either one, Mary was unfaithful to Joseph, or two, they couldn't wait. Now, in our day, not waiting is normal, unfortunately. But in Jesus' day, not waiting was scandalous. If Joseph agreed to marry this girl, society is going to assume in that moment that the baby is his and that he and Mary sinned against God. And remember, Joseph's reputation, even in the community, was that he was a just man. And the other thing is that nobody in the community got the same dream from the angel Gabriel as Mary and Joseph got. Nobody came to the people of Bethlehem and the people of Nazareth and said, hey, you know that young couple, Mary and Joseph, you know what they're going to say, the baby's from God? Believe them. They didn't get that. So what they got was stares from people. 
In this day, people that, were ha- that had children out of wedlock were socially excluded and rejected. They would be seen as second-class citizens. Even under Jewish law, the husband would be liable for the death sentence. See, having Jesus in his life meant that society was not going to understand him, that society was going to reject him. And having Jesus in your life may mean that society is going to reject you. Having Jesus in your life may mean that your friends are going to reject you. Even Jesus growing up, becoming a man in John chapter 8, verse 41, the Pharisees who were the the great enemies, uh, many of them were the great enemies of Jesus. When Jesus was preaching and speaking to them, they made fun of Jesus and said, Jesus, you're basically an illegitimate son. You are a son of immorality. Jesus, 30 years after this this time, was, was accused by other people that he was born illegitimately. Now, if they did that 30 years later, what do you think they were doing in the days of Joseph and Mary? Could you imagine how their family treated Joseph after Jesus was born? You know the stares. You know the looks. Could you imagine how awkward Shabbat would have been? Could you imagine how awkward Passover would have been? You have to come to the house. See, in that day, Passover was like our Thanksgiving feast, like our Christmas feast. And so you had all these people that you don't really like gathering together in one room to eat a meal so that you can't wait to get over with. It's like Christmas is going to be for some of you. So here are the stairs, the innuendo. See, having Jesus in your life may mean that your family don't understand you. See, for Joseph and Mary, that's what they got. For Joseph to take on the responsibility, the privilege, the calling of his life, it came as a cost to his reputation, but secondly, it came as a cost to his self-determination. Now, you say, where do you get that? What is this whole idea of self-determination? Because we don't really think about that. It's basically being in control. He lost the ability to be in control of everything in his life. The Bible says in verse 21, notice this. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, you sh- she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, or Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, when we read that, we get the warm fuzzies. When Joseph heard that, it was a different context. Because in Joseph's day, naming the child was the job of the father. And so in that day, the father had complete rights over the children, and naming them was a sign of his control of the family. You remember Adam and Eve? What was Adam's job before they got married? Adam had a job before they got married. Men, you should have a job before you get married, right, women? His job was naming the animals. Now, some of you say, well, that's my job too. (laughs) His job was naming the animals. Why? Because it showed his authority over creation. It showed his authority over the animals. So in that day... The husband, the man, named the children. Now listen, I named every one of my kids after April said it was okay. (laughs) Just kidding. Kind of not. But notice here in this text, the angel takes that away. Joseph, taking on the responsibility of being the dad, couldn't have control as a dad because everything he had to do, he had to do it God's way. Why? Because who was the real father? God. You know, something else that you just noticed, some things he had to give up. One is he gave up control of naming Jesus. Number two, he couldn't have a relationship, a sexual relationship with his wife until after the birth of Jesus. Three, in Matthew chapter two, Herod the Great is going to murder all the children two years and younger in Bethlehem. And before that happens, God sends a dream to Joseph, another dream, saying you need to leave everything you have and everyone you know and go immediately to Egypt because your life is in danger. Do you realize how Jesus' birth 
complicated Joseph's life and inconvenienced him. You know, they just got set up in Bethlehem. Now they got to leave. And if you think about this, even greater, Joseph, because he was the father, he was the stepdad of Jesus, was under death threat from the government. See, having Jesus in your life means that you don't just do what you want. Having Jesus in your life means that you do what he wants. A true relationship with Christ means you surrender, you deny yourself, that you take up your cross and you follow him. A lot of people in our day have this notion that they can just have a little bit of Jesus in their life and that they'll follow Jesus if he'll do what, he asks, what they ask him to do, if he doesn't ask too much of them and if he can make them happy. See, some people, even in the church, see, Jesus can just be a little add-on to your life. You could have a little Jesus in your life and live however you want to live. But that's not Christianity. See, Jesus doesn't just demand some of you. Jesus demands all of you. And if you are going to have Jesus in your life, you may have to consent to do things his way, even if it means denying yourself of some things that you might otherwise have. Now, we get this about the end of self-determination, those of you that are parents in this room. How many of you that are parents in this room understand that when you had a child, your life changed? It was the end of living the way you used to live forever, right? I didn't say they ruined your life. I just said they changed your life. Having a child means that you live, especially in the early years, according to their needs. That you, as, as God's steward, are responsible to make sure that your child is taken care of and you put your, their needs above yours. Those of you who have little children, you put their sleep above your sleep and you praise God when they go to sleep. Amen? You put their comfort ahead of your comfort. I know that for years we would take the kids to Disney or take them to SeaWorld and, and the kids say, Daddy, put me on your sh shoulders, put me on your shoulders. And I'd put them on there until my shoulders were numb just so they could see Mickey. I wish they would start having parades at kids' levels. Don't you? I have them up there. Put them down here so the kids can see. Cost you financially to have kids, Right? They're the gift that keeps on taking. I mean, I've, I've got one child that he's met our insurance deductible four years. Four years he met it. My deductible is $3,500 a person. And so we call him deductible boy. Because I'm still paying on him. I'm still paying on the debt. And, and I'm worried that they may come repossess him one day. Why do we do all that we do for our children? We do what we do for our children because we love them and they love us. And what Jesus demands on our lives is more than what our children demand. Our God demands everything because he deserves everything. We love him because he first loved us. But I want you to understand that it takes courage to take your hands off your life. It takes courage to do that because I want to be in control. We all struggle with an issue of wanting to be in control and yet to relinquish control and to give our lives to him and to have him in your life means that you have to relinquish control. You can't have Jesus in your life if you're trying to have control of your life. But here's the last thing it cost him. It cost him his humiliation. Notice this again in verse 21 where the Bible says, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The reason that God became flesh is not to inspire us or to empower us or to educate us. Jesus came to save us. To save us from what? From the government, from Democrats, from Republicans? What did he come to save us from? 
from our sins. We're the cause of our own problems. We have a debt that we cannot repay and only Jesus can repay and he came and paid the debt. The only way that we can be forgiven and have a right relationship with God required the death of Jesus Christ and Jesus coming into this world. And so for Joseph, for him to receive Jesus into his life, for him to say yes, he had to understand why Jesus came and he came to save Joseph. See, normally parents save their kids, save for their kids, they raise their kids, they care for their kids, but here we see the child that that Joseph would raise would be the child that would raise Joseph. And so for Joseph to receive Jesus into his life meant that he had to have the courage to admit his absolute need for him, that he was a sinner and that he could not save himself. And this is where it gets a lot of people off. A lot of people love Jesus. They love to see the little baby Jesus, but nobody wants to admit they need Jesus. And the reason why they don't want to admit that they need Jesus is because they have a self-image that they are good people. And here's the problem. Jesus came to this world and he came to this world because we're not good people. We're evil people. We are sinners that are condemned. We sin not just because, uh, because we do bad things, but we sin because we're sinners and we're evil and we deserve God's just judgment. And so many people are unwilling to admit their need for Jesus. And a lot of people, even in Christian circles, see that salvation is really a, a, a transaction between me and God. I do my part, God does his part. If I go to heaven, it's because I'm good enough to go to heaven. And when you ask people, how good are you? They say, well, I'm better than that person. It's relative. But here's the thing. God doesn't just see, well, he's better than her so he can go, or she's better than him so she can go. No, God judges us by perfection. And none of us in this room are perfect. See, the truth is, is if we're really honest, we don't need a little help from Jesus. We need him, and without him, we're dead. It is not that we have a cut on our hand and that Jesus is the band-aid. The issue is that we are dead in the morgue and we are going to stay in the morgue until he raises us from the dead. I often give this illustration when I'm sharing the gospel with people. So I want you to imagine that you and I are out on a boat on Lake Monroe. It's night. It's raining. It's nasty. It's windy. And you are out taking pictures of a nasty rainy night God only knows why. And a wave comes and you fall off the boat. And you're in the boat. I'm still on the boat. You're down at the bottom. You're down in the water. You can't swim. You can maybe doggy paddle a little bit, but you can't swim. It's dark. The winds and the waves are rocking. And that moment you have two options. One is you can try to swim. Or two is you can call out for help. Now for you to call out for help, number one... There's three things that are involved for you to call out for help. One is you have to realize that you cannot save yourself. That you, can, you can't make it. Like if you continue on, you can make it for a little while. Like, have you ever like in the pool tried to tread water for a little while? I can make it about um, 30 seconds, a minute, then I'm, I'm done. God made me good looking but not a good swimmer. Now why are you laughing? You shouldn't laugh about that. So your option one is you just, you just try to do it but you're, you're going to drown. Because you can't swim. The second thing you have to realize is not only that you can't save yourself, but number two, you have to, you have to come to this a, a conclusion in your mind that I am strong enough and able to save you. That if you ask me to help you, 
I can actually help you and get you out. And number three is that for you to ask for me to help, you have to realize you cannot save yourself, that you have to realize that I'm strong enough to save you. And third, that I care for you enough and love you enough to save you, even if it means risking my life. I think that that's where a lot of people are with God. Because the reason that you won't ask God to help you, you won't ask God to forgive you, you won't, ask, you won't surrender your life to Him, it's because, one, you think you can still save yourself. You are trying to doggy paddle in your own righteousness, but you're going to sink and die. Or two, you don't believe God is strong enough to save you. You don't think that he's able to do it. Oh, you, you, you think, well, you know what, you, you don't know all that I've done, you don't know all that I am, and you're not strong enough. I'm not even sure that you exist, God. Or three, some of you say, you know what, I know I can't save myself, and I believe that you can do it, but God... I'm so bad, you can't love me enough to do that. And that's what keeps people from asking for surrendering their lives. And what you need to notice this is that you will never really have Jesus in your life until you surrender your life to Jesus. Billy, whose testimony we heard, I was with him in that room. And it was in that moment I had been praying for him and talking to him for years. And I asked him this one question, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? when I said that he started tearing up and he said yes that took courage that took courage where do you get that kind of courage from to admit that you need Jesus where do you get that from where do you get the strength to be like that you get it from looking to Jesus see Jesus is God with us and I want you to think about this thought for God to be with us took much more courage than for us to be with God. See, for us to be with God, we just simply surrender our lives and believe. For God to be with us, He had to die on a cross. There's a song, Hark the Herald, that says, Mildly He lays His glory by. We sang that a moment ago. Jesus came into this world voluntarily, willingly, and lovingly. No one forced Him to do it. And he came and he faced unimaginable pain and died a death purely because he loves us. Now think about this. Like Mary and Joseph, Jesus would be falsely accused and misunderstood. Like Mary and Joseph, he would be despised and condemned by the religious establishment. Like Mary and Joseph, he would live under the threat of death, but different, he would actually be ex executed by the government. Like Mary and Joseph, he would deny himself, but unlike Mary and Joseph, he would die for like Mary and Joseph he was utterly humiliated and like Mary and Joseph he would suffer for sins that he did not commit and he did it willingly because he loves you he's done everything necessary for you to be to be right with him what you need is courage what you need is courage you know what if Joseph would have just said no what if he would just said no if he just said you know what I don't believe this it's crazy. He would have maybe lived a normal little life, quiet little life, married somebody else, had a bunch of kids, had a little carpentry business in Bethlehem or Nazareth. But he would have never had Jesus in his life. Some of you, what's missing in your life is Jesus. You have a, a God-shaped hole in your heart, but it's infected. And the only thing that will fill it is Jesus. In with this thought. Mariah Carey's song. Her first verse said this 
I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the tree, the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. You know, all you need for Christmas is Jesus. That's all you need. Today, my hope is, is that you'll be brave. You'll be courageous. That you'll take a step to Him knowing that He's already taken the first step to you. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.